What's going on, guys? Welcome back to episode eight of The Young Startup. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Rhythm Singh, the owner of the Wear app, a SaaS product, a, a piece of new tech in the industry of the retail industry. Um, today, we talk everything about how Rhythm got started. Super cool name, I know. Uh, but how Rhythm got started, how he came up with an idea in his thought process of how he took the idea and made it into reality. Now, lots and lots came out of this conversation. Rhythm is an incredible speaker, and you're going to be able to pick up a lot about his thought process and how he was able to find a need in the market and solve that need by creating the Wear app. He is going to be changing the way how retail works forever. And when this blows up, it's going to be the next Uber. It's going to be the next Airbnb. It's going to be the next Skip the Dishes. You pretty much name it. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of The Young Startup. Today, we get the opportunity to interview this absolute stud. His name is Rhythm, founder of Wear, another young hustler and someone that has came to our attention with a, a very, very unique business idea. And we wanted to take uh, the opportunity to interview him today so you can kind of see and learn from, you know, first of all, uh, the younger demographic with interesting opportunities and ideas, but also to how he's going to be able to you know, revolutionize the retail space, so to speak. So thank you, first of all, for joining us. Um, yeah, man. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. So my upbringing, man, I'm, I'm a first generation of, um, you know, American. Uh, my parents came here from India. I'm Punjabi. I don't know if you guys have any Punjabi friends, but we're like the Irish of the Indian people. We drink <laughs> a lot. We party a lot. <laughs> but we're also serious. So our motto is essentially, you know, work hard, play harder. Uh, so, um, man, I it was pretty straight edge, like, you know, college career, pretty straight edge, you know, career just in general. I went to school at Rutgers for finance. Uh, didn't really like it so much. It was just too boring. And, and, you know, the financial world wouldn't take the man bun. So I was like, you know what, let me just uh, drop this, not the bun. <laughs> and uh, I picked up, uh, I picked up marketing. And dude, I fell in love. I absolutely fell in love. I saw this ad once and it was about, um, it was a, it was a Citroen ad from like France. And they compare their car to like Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And the way they did it was so hilarious. Um, they were like, oh, you, this car can go faster than a, a Lamborghini traveling at 70 miles an hour when that car is traveling 65. And I just thought it was so clever. And I was like, there's, there has to be something here where like I can, you know, add my creativity into it and, you know, kind of take it from there. So that didn't happen at all. <laughs> so I stuck with, uh, I stuck with uh, finance. I worked at PVH, um, uh, first job out of college. I'm not sure if uh, if you know what that is, that they're the holding group of like Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein. So I was kind of in the space that I always really wanted to be in, like fashion and apparel. And, you know, my parents have always kind of been in that. My mom's like a designer for Indian apparel. And, and my dad's like, he has a, he's a merchant. So he goes to like private labels and, you know, manufactures their clothes, like from factories in India and whatnot. So, you know, there are always dinner talks about fashion and apparel and, and just the industry as a whole. So I guess I kind of got like looped back into it. Um, the experience at, at, um, at, you know, PVH wasn't exactly what I hoped to, if hope for it to be, obviously, you know, first job out of college, it was, it was what it was. Uh, and then I saw an opportunity to move to, um, uh, an ad tech agency, but that ad tech agency was in pharma. So the most, you know, boring topic you could possibly think of, <laughs> got that job, uh, through, through some networks. Um, you know, really, they're like, oh, why would we hire you? You have no marketing experience, but, you know, I proved myself and I said, Hey, you know, I went to school for this, you know, showed off a little bit and whatnot got the job, left the job in, in six months. Uh, and then I ended up at this company called Captify, where I currently work right now as well as I, you know, pursue my, uh, uh, my, my company. Uh, so right now I'm a sales executive at Captify and it's an ad tech company where we, you know, sell and, and, you know, do insight, do insights and, you know, advertise for a lot of, you know, big, big name brands like BMW, like Dior, all, you know, all the sorts of things. So I'm in the advertising world right now and, you know, kind of staying close to that marketing sense. Um, but then, you know, pandemic hit, I'm sitting at home and I'm like, I, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I'm working from home. I'm not really seeing my, you know, my coworkers and our office is like a frat pretty much. Like we, we get along really well together. It's like a family. It's like a startup, it's a young startup. So that component just like went missing. And I was like, what, what, what am I doing here? Right. Uh, so then, you know, I just sat down and was like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. Nothing really fell together. One day I was just, uh, I was drinking with, with my cousin and he was like, yo, I, I love these sneakers. I want to get them right now. 
I was like, well, what, like, just we'll get them tomorrow. He was like, no, I want them right now. And we were drinking during the day. So that's why it makes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense why he wanted the sneakers right now. <laughs> in this city, yeah. <laughs> we started early, man. It was that uh, we're at home. So we're like, why not? So uh, it was a Friday. So, you know, th- that, that being said, he wanted the sneakers and I was like, well, we could get it tomorrow. He was like, no, I want it right now. He was like, yo, what if I just tell this Uber driver to like, go pick up the sneakers? Would he do it? I'm like, I doubt that. Why would he, you know, park his car, get out of his car, you know, walk into a store, pick up your sneakers. A, how would the store know who is picking up the sneakers? You don't even know who your Uber driver is. You're not signed a name. So how are you going to give it? Uh, and, you know, obviously the conversation was uh, not as, you know, proper as this. Obviously we're drunk, but uh, <laughs> that was, that was the, the, the gist of it. So then, you know, I, I was scratching my head. I was like, yo, dude, this is actually we're, we're kind of onto something. Like, I love sneakers. I love clothes. I love apparel. And, you know, like that, that's something that is an immediate need for me. Uh, and if I wanted something, I know there's not an option out to get it. So obviously I did the research and I said, hey, is there anything out there like that? Of course there is, right? You have Amazon, you can buy pretty much anything, get in two days, even next day if you pay extra or wherever you live. In New York City, we're fortunate because we have the next day option. Uh, and then, you know, Instacart is doing something like that with Sephora, um, Uber Eats is doing something. Everyone's doing this exact same thing what we planned on doing, right? But then I said, you know, how can we flip this? Like, what is wrong here? What is going on here? Uh, and, you know, why isn't this working? Um, so then, you know, I thought to myself, like, as a brand, what would I think? Well, how would I, you know, go to a marketplace? Because if you think about it, right, Amazon's a marketplace, Uber Eats app or Uber like delivery apps are, is a marketplace, Instacart's a marketplace. All these apps are a marketplace. So it really takes the control away from the brand. And I figured, you know, in this, in this kind of, you know, like this time period that we're in, you know, businesses are really booming. And, um, you know, even during the pandemic, you know, everything's going online, you know, retail has still survived. Um, but where they're struggling is their physical locations, right? So that was one component of it. Uh, the other component was these users are already, I mean, these brands are already going to these, you know, these other apps to kind of, you know, fulfill that demand of same day delivery and whatnot, but they lose control, right? So they don't know what inventory, you know, what, how much inventory they can put on there. They can't put the full scope of inventory. So I'm like, well, you know, on Amazon, I can't really buy the exact same things that I can buy on Zara's website or on, you know, Mango's website or anything like that. So I said, like, what if there was just a built-in widget that sits on the app, sits on the brand website or their app, and just allows me to know which inventory is available same day? So I can a make an educated, like, you know, decision in terms of like what I want to buy and what I don't want to buy, and then would they be able to deliver it to me for a cheap price? Because I'm, a, you know, I, I'm just a young professional. I just started out young. I'm not making too much just yet, but you know, it's like I, I don't want to spend thirty bucks on same day delivery. You know, even FedEx like Express next day is around like twenty five thirty, depending on what brand what time you order and whatnot. So it was interesting. I, uh, you know, nothing, nothing written down, nothing happened yet. This was just all in my head. Um, I downloaded Adobe XD and I was like, you know what, let me design this app. It's going to be sick. I was doing the exact same thing Uber did. I was doing the exact same thing everyone else did was making an app. So everyone can come on this marketplace. I'm like, this is absolutely wrong. I would not even use it myself. So let me, let me make this widget. Um, having no technical knowledge, I linked up with a buddy of mine who introduced me to like, um, our tech lead now who, um, previously worked at Apple. I heard Apple. I'm like, all right, you know what? Done. So like, let me, let's just get in on this right now. Um, but you know, obviously that didn't work out. It wasn't, it, it wasn't a good relationship. And that's something, you know, what I learned as a founder, like you can't just take on the first, well, you can, you know, it's good to make mistakes, but also you have to really understand people and how they work apart from like what's on their resume and like, you know, the past works that they have done. It's also the communication, right? So the trouble that he and I had was that he wasn't able to communicate with me properly, what the technical aspect of the project was. In, in a way where I would understand and in a way where I can, you know, go back to the brands and kind of explain it to them. So then, you know, I put the, I tabled the project and I went back to, you know, just doing my day job. Uh, then I came back to it, uh, you know, set, set up the website, made sure that, you know, everything would be exactly how me as a shopper would want to view it. So, uh, you know, if you guys get a chance to check out the website, if you read the verbiage, even that is very, very plain and simple. Like I throw, I throw LOLs in there. I, I, I put throw ha-has in there and stuff like that. Just because, I'm a shopper, man. Let's not make this so serious. You know, like Uber makes yeah. it so serious. Amazon, it's, it's, it's a shopping experience. It's a window shopping experience, right? Now we we're living in a, in a, in a time where we have such, so much access to all these websites, you know, all the brands it's at our fingertips. So let's make it fun. Let's have some fun with it. And at the end of the day, we're not, you know, like solving cancer. So this is like something, you know, very fun, something really creative, something like something that you would use and utilize and, you know, uh, you know, benefit from. So very straight up, uh, straight to the point, you know, nothing, nothing too uh, crazy about it. Even like the curators, which I'll get into a little bit later and while well, I get into the app, 
Uh, but going back to like the site, the site was made. Uh, then I found another developer who helped me actually make the widget. Um, and here we are, man. I, I'm now I'm here, like looking for my uh, my my first brand to go to market uh, to market with. Love I know that, I said man. a lot there. I know I said a lot, yeah, but yeah, I, had, yeah, I, had, no, no. I had two cups of coffee. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. I really, you know, I, I love the fact that what you did in order to understand this opportunity is you really put yourself in the customer's shoes. You put yourself on the other end of the, the spectrum here that you can understand what the process is going to look like. And that's exactly what Eric and I do from an Amazon standpoint. We, we sell very vividly on Amazon. We always make sure in order to make the process as seamless as possible for our customer, we always put them in our shoes. We're always asking us, asking ourselves that question. And that helps us understand, you know, what's the best approach. It's going to help us understand, you know, what's the best, like you said, verbiage to use. And I love how you're resonating with the customer in that sense as well. Um, yeah, I'm very, very interested in, to, in, in regards to learn more on around this app specifically, how it was developed. Um, and, and to be honest with you, your approach in regards to how you plan to, you know, essentially tra track these customers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'll start off with the app, the, the technical component of it. So um, the app was a lot harder than I thought was to make. Obviously, having that no technical experience, I was like, okay, I have no idea what you're doing, but it looks cool. So let's go with it. Um, like, you know, going back to the customer experience, one thing I, you know, even browsing through like the websites that we shop at, even Amazon, if you think about it, right? Why is it so easy to use these apps? Because it's so simple. It's so basic. It's so like user friendly. And that's kind of the vision and the approach I wanted to make with the app uh, for myself. And obviously, if the consumer is not going to be using, you know, the back end of it where the businesses are going to be utilizing, I wanted to make sure every single component spoke to each of its audience. So there's three components to this to this tech or this product, if you want to call it. There's the you know the main component, which is the the widget, which is the the shopper facing, consumer facing component of of where where you know you as the shopper would you know play around with this widget, enter your zip code, you know figure out the deliveries where they need to go, and um, sort of get that price, and you know really play around and mess with it because that's what you're going to be utilizing. Then the second component, which is probably the most important, is the back end of it where the brands get to like mess around with it, right? So we have this beautiful admin panel where now it eases the process for the brand. So one thing I realized and my approach to this market and my pitch basically to brands is, is that, hey, look, you have store locations spread across New York City, right? Let's just take that for example. That's our first market that we plan on launching in. So let's say, let's, this is my favorite brand, so I'm just going to run with it. Uh, Zara, they have about like 13, 14 stores in New York City, right? What now they do is that if you order something, even if you're in New York, they'll use their distribution center, which is closest to you, which is obviously not in New York City, which is probably North Carolina, which, which I see on my packages all the time. If an order that I'm ordering, even if it comes two or three days late, whatever it is, the reason why it's late is because it's coming from such a you know far away place. It's coming from distribution center, which is like a few states away. Yeah. That's, and then my pitch is, is like, why are you doing that? What, what's, what's, what's the sense of that? Because you have all the inventory in this city. You, your shoppers are in this city. So why don't we just turn your stores into little mini distribution centers? Ooh. And, and then I was like, you know what? This is the fulfillment aspect right there. They already invested the capital into it. It's a very low in asset light and uh, sort of project to take on, you know, and especially offering it as a SaaS product to these brands. They would obviously, you know, be interested in it because now I'm providing them the tech to kind of utilize the inventory that they already have, utilize the assets they already have. And when I say assets, I mean their store locations, right? Because they've already invested so much money into it. It makes no sense for them to shut it down. Even if they do, the brand perception goes down. Um, but, you know, it's also marketing, right? So if they shut down stores, they're not really marketing in that demographic, in that region or, in, you know, in New York City, which is such a hot market as well. So that's my initial pitch of saying, hey, look, you have the distribution centers, you have the inventory, you have every single thing you need. So why do you need Amazon? Why do you need all these other apps? You have everything you need. All you need is a technology that connects you to a network of curators, which is a fancy way of saying messengers. Um, and I kind of wanted to make that sound cool, so I called them curators. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so you have the network of curators, which I'll bring you. Uh, you have the tech, which will kind of you know see your inventory flow, where you can control it. And now you have more control. Now you know when an order is coming into you, what store it's gonna be picked up from, what time it's gonna be picked up from, who is it gonna be picked up from. Now it's a more planned and organized approach. And it couldn't have happened at a more perfect time, man. I, it just, it couldn't have, especially, and yeah. I hate saying this, I think like COVID was a blessing in disguise for, for this company, for even me as like an entrepreneur, and I'm sure for you guys too, you know, we put our heads down, we really got to work and everything. 
Um, and, you know, anyone out there listening that's like a young founder, I think like this time is so pivotal, like because because of that, you, you have such free time, the noise is cut out, you know, you don't you don't have that FOMO, like my friends are going out, let me go out every weekend and stuff like that. And I was like that, especially in a city like New York, and I'm sure you guys are like that as well. But Blessing in Disguise completely changed and revolutionized who I am. But then, you know, going back to the app, it allowed me to it allowed me to kind of tag on to what was happening in the industry. So mm. if you notice, like when you shop online now, you have the option to get it like pick up in store, right? Or you have the option to curbside delivery. Well, the brand's already thinking that these shoppers need their items quicker because they, yeah. they just, because you know, you're sitting at home and you're like, you're ordering this thing. That's the worst thing ever, right? You're sitting at home and you order something and it's not there. It's like, shit, you're, you're constantly thinking about it. You're constantly like, oh my God, why isn't it here? But if you're out at work or whatever it is, you don't really think about it. You're like, okay, my package will come in a day or two. But now everyone's home. And, and this is like kind of bulletproof for when everyone's out as well, because now we're all addicted to what Amazon has done. We're now all, all addicted to the fast shipping options. We're all addicted to the curbside pickup. <laughs> we're all addicted to, you know, all these things. So they already have the tech that kind of speaks to the inventory, where it's located, how quickly they can get out of their store. That made my job easier. That made the technical component a lot easier because now I don't really have to go there and manage inventory. So I completely yeah. scratched, whatever you heard, just completely scratched that product of the side of like the inventory management, because now all we do is we plug into your inventory uh, system or software that you already use, which every single brand uses, no matter how big or large, because you need to track your inventory. Yep. Now we just plug and play with you. And now we know where that black t-shirt is, whether it's at the Soho Zara or whether it's at the Uptown Zara, whether it's at the Midtown Zara. Our, the hard part is where our tech comes in and kind of like makes it, well, our algorithm kind of like devises a way where if you order something and your orders at multiple locations, it'll find the most efficient route to get it to you. And we were able to do that with the network of curators that we have at a scale of 11 to $20. So you can get same day delivery for the cost of, you know, no matter what your cost of goods is from 11 to $20. And, and you're telling me like, there's so many shoppers out there that would do that, right? Especially like if you're spending $150 on, you know, sneakers that are just dropping and you want it instantly, they cost you 20 bucks to get it the same day or like two in two hours, two, three hours, depending on obviously the city, like New York is obviously a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you do it? Like, isn't, isn't that like a no brainer at that point? 110%. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's just, it just made sense. And again, going back to what, what how would I use it, right? So for, so for that case in point, that's exactly why I would use it because I, I, I see the need, it's affordable and I can get it the same day and be, have that instant gratification yeah. and buy it from my favorite, you know, brands and from their, their store where they have all the variations of that product rather than, you know, Amazon and all that, all that stuff. Um, so, you know, it was a no brainer for me. So then that way, when I was voicing it to these brands that I've been speaking to, it was a no brainer. But of course, there's always a but, right? Uh, you hit a yeah. roadblock. And, and this is, I'm sure you guys also face this as well, you know, when you're starting out your projects early on, um, or even like, you know, any young entrepreneur out there listening to this is obviously, you have to gain that credibility, that proof of concept, you kind of have to prove yourself before you get those big dogs like Zara and like those mangoes of the world, even Macy's and Nordstrom. So that's where we had trouble the most. Um, and I think the best thing, you know, we could do, and I did waste a lot of time, I'll be very honest with you, I did waste a lot of time, I made this product were in its final iteration. I was like, yo, I want to make it so perfect. I want to make sure it looks, you know, flawless. Everything's working properly, but that's never the case, right? That's never the case at all. Um, so I was watching this interview. Um, uh, it was, it was the founders of uh, Airbnb. And dude, if you ever look at Airbnb's first product, it was literally like a HTML page that just said, Hey, like, this is where you want to stay. We'll go find your house. They'll come back to you after like two or three days and say, Hey, we found a house for you. And now you think about Airbnb and where it's at right now. Uh, yeah. And just like, I was like thinking, I was like, dude, if they can do that and expand that far, why can't I? I have to still test the market. So mm -hmm. I went back to my tech, uh, my, my tech team and I said, hey, we made this amazing product. I love it. We have, to fuck it. we have to destroy it. We just have to get rid of it completely. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, wait, so it's really fat right now and it's costing me a lot of money and I can't really prove the concept. So let's trim the fat down. Let's put it, you know, let's put it on the treadmill and just trim the fat down. So it was, it took literally months to kind of take off a few features like, and, you know, trim the fat of like things that weren't really necessary in the beginning phases and whatnot. Like we had features like where you can edit orders before, you know, the curator picks it up. So now it gives you more convenience. You could return orders if you want from the same link that we give you. Uh, you can sign up for our, our website and you can, you know, have a community base and talk to like brand, uh, shoppers that shop at the same brands as you. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? You're doing too much right now. And, yeah. you know, you haven't even proven yourself. Like, let's just go back a little bit. And what I realized is that was exactly the way to do it, right? So then I did this. So once we trimmed the fat, we made this MVP, right? It's our first iteration of the product. 
it just does this. It connects you to a curator that will pick up your order and deliver it to you. That's exactly what you asked for. So that's exactly what we're going to give you without all the bells and whistles right now. So the best, you know, the strategy we found was, okay, so bigger brands are not going to take this because it doesn't look too pretty, right? So Zara's not going to put this on their website. They're just not going to do it. They, you know, they, they're obviously the ideal brand. They have the volume. Then I went to small boutiques in Soho. They just didn't have the investment they, or they didn't even have the infrastructure to do so. So that didn't work. But then I found another strategy of uh, DTC brands. So this is where, you know, your audience really fits in, where they have their own online e-commerce stores. Mm-hmm. And one thing that they really lack, and I'll get into it, where uh, it's a little backstory of how, you know, I, I came about this. Actually, you know, I'll just get into it right now. So <laughs> it's, it's even in the demo of my product, man. So like, I've really instilled my personality into anything and everything about this product, about where. So um, there is a brand that I started uh, back in college. It was a t-shirt brand and I was selling it. It was drop shipping it. I'm sure you guys know how that works. Oh, yeah. It was called Story Tailored. I had funny quotes. Um, it was funny. I actually found a shirt the other day and I posted <laughs> it on my story and I was like, oh shit, like that's what, oh yeah, I remember that, you know, back in the day. Uh, so it was like funny shirts, like, you know, phrases that me and my friends would say, we, you know, put it on a shirt embroidered. It was very good quality. It was really nice, but it didn't really work out. Uh, and my biggest issue was the drop shipping, shipping part, because A, I didn't have the quality assurance. I obviously couldn't check what, you know, how the product is looking, how the customer is receiving it, how's the packaging and everything. And man, that really damages a brand, right? That really like, you know, it's, it puts a bad taste in, in your mouth as a shopper if it's not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, after so many complaints, man, I had to scratch that whole, you know, drop shipping idea and kind of start shipping it out of my own house. So I did that a little bit. The, the company was going great. The brand was doing all right. You know, the marketing was doing good just because that's, you know, that's something that, you know, I was really passionate about. So it was, it was getting up there, it was getting up there. But the biggest issue that I ran into was the fulfillment and distribution part. Um, there came a point where, you know, there wasn't, there was enough space in my house where I can just, you know, or my apartment time, I, I couldn't ship out of. It was just, it was just wasn't feasible. So what I thought for where would be a good idea is to go directly to distributors, right? So there's warehouses now, since it's so cheap commercial real estate. So I found that a network of distributors have bought these small warehouses in like, you know, small areas of New York. Uh, there's one in particular that I'm working out, uh, working on with called Highline Commerce. Shout out to, to Richard. <laughs> um, uh, I always have to plug, right? <laughs> but um, uh, no, he's a great guy. He's just started out this, um, this distribution uh, company as well called Highline Commerce. So what they do is basically link up with these DTC brands that don't have the, the A, the investment or the capital to, you know, have their own, you know, uh, warehouses or fulfill- facilities to fulfill their orders. So he houses their orders uh, on a non-lease basis. So there's no like lease. So it's a lot mm-hmm. flexible terms and whatnot. So, you know, me as a DTC brand, it's a no brainer, right? If my customers in New York city, I'm going to keep my product there. Then I thought to myself, I'm like, Hey, I would use that as a DTC brand. So let me make their life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I can't house the product, but I can definitely deliver it. Now I know that these, these um, distributors have these brands. Let me go directly to the distributors and have them introduce me to the brands saying that I'll fulfill their, their deliveries for them the same day. So now you have an added value of same day delivery at a DTC brand. So I, I bet there's not many brands out there that you can say, you know, that just started out that are willing to offer same day delivery. But with this product in collaboration with these distributors, now they can. And that is kind of my approach with it now. So now I'm looking uh, for these distributors and DTC brands because I want to work my way up. I want to make sure that I have, you know, five or six DTC brands that are really strong. They're really performing, especially in the New York City region. Mm-hmm. And then now I have that proof of concept. And now I can go to, you know, the small boutiques in Soho. Once I get those, then I can go to the Zara's. Then I can go to the Macy's of the world and then kind of, you know, expand from then on. Um, and then obviously scale it out nationally, of course. But yeah, so that was that's that in a nutshell. That was that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that was uh, freaking phenomenal. Like this is a prime example of someone that is like live and breathe entrepreneur, someone that tries something, understands that it doesn't work, knows that it needs to pivot, adapt and move on to the next strategy. And I respect that and condemn you for that because Eric and I are very, very, very similar. We know when we have too much on on our plate and we'll cut the slack as soon as we know that and then focus on, you know, what's actually going to be producing us. I also really love the approach that you're taking, starting small and getting big after that, because very similar to Amazon, Amazon people purchase off of one social proof and off of rank, right? So in order to be ranked, you need to make sure one, you're getting sales and you're attractive. So, you know, are we attracting the right brands or are we understanding our customer? Are we putting ourselves in their shoes and marketing it correctly? But two customer and social proof, we need to have a high quality product. We need to build social proof. And then as soon as we build that, it's, it's kind of like a trickle effect. You can start scaling your brand, adding more products, retargeting customers. So I think you're doing all of the right things 
Absolutely. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Eric, but yeah, no, no, that was, that was crazy. It was, I had a bunch of questions in my mind, but every time <laughs> I, I thought of it, you answered it. I was like, holy <laughs> crap, this, this guy's smart. But yeah, I think, um, you know, the fact that you're able to take an idea and just keep advancing on it goes a really, really long way. And always putting that customer first, just like Brian said, I think that that goes immensely far when trying to develop an app and make it attractive to people. And you know what you talked about, how you trim down the fat, that's a really good concept as well. And for the people that are listening, sometimes less is more. And most of the times it is, especially when you first get started. And what I've noticed is that you know, I used to, Brian and I used to bulk up our listings with as much information as possible. And that didn't do the selling. People want to know how it's going to benefit them, how it's going to work for them. And if in fact, it's something that they want to purchase, they don't care about all the fluff that you put in there just to put in there. So for us, like SEO is important, obviously. So for us, we were like, okay, put this keyword there, that keyword there, but that never works out there. So, um, User friendliness, convenience is also two things that I picked up in your conversation there. Uh, those are very, very important um, for any niche, any type of a business, whether it be a SaaS product or delivering physical products. Um, and one thing I loved about you know your model here is you know you talked about customers, curators, and brands. So your curators now you're you're being able curators. I'm assuming are like the drivers, right? Yeah, they're the messengers. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is so essentially you, Uber for for retail. Yeah, is that's like that's. Are you am I correct when I say that? Exactly. Yep, that's exactly it. I got goosebumps thinking of that because I know how fucking big Uber is right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what, man? Like one thing I would say as well is that um, COVID definitely is a like again, the accelerator for a lot of businesses and for, for, for where I can definitely see that uh, a good example of this is, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Ty Lopez bought into Pier one imports. Um, if you guys, and, and basically that company shut down because they were all retail location. They had no online presence. And all he did is, is he's taken that brand online. You know what I mean? So um, I think this could be a solution for them because Pier one imports cut has a crap ton of retail locations and I'm, I'm assuming they're probably going obsolete. Most yeah. of them have shut, th- shut down. I don't know how it's going to work and everything like that, but um, it's crazy to think how things can just fall into place like that. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's re- it's really crazy. And, and there's so many things happening in apparel and retail in general. Um, yeah. you know, just, just, uh, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll shut up for a second. Did you have anything to add? <laughs> no, no, you, you go ahead. You go ahead. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I was saying, you know, there's so many industry trends that are happening where I think, like you said, the peer import stuff, right? If their stores are closing down, there's definitely going to be some sort of solution that's going to pop up in the marketplace. There is this store in New York City called Showfields, right? So essentially what they do, and I think it's a beautiful concept, and that's a brand that I would potentially want to approach as where. And what they do is basically they go to these DTC brands that have kind of grown now. They have you know, have the social proof. They've made, you know, a name for themselves in that specific market. So they'll, they'll say, hey, you know what? The only thing stopping you right now is your customers not being able to feel your clothes. So why don't you come over to our, our store location, our department store, quote unquote, and they'll have five or six brands in there and they'll basically have like a showroom. So now it's not like, it's not even you're going in there to buy things. You're just going in there to feel it out, touch, you know, touch it, you know, kind of interact with the brand and their representatives. And it's kind of like an experience. And that's kind of how it's shifting. Mm-hmm. A lot of influences that I've also gotten is is from Sweden and I think you know I think Norwegian companies in particular and you know anyone out there listening I think you should definitely focus in Europe and seeing what like what's going on in the tech world there they're really really expanding man they you know to their benefit they have a small population where they can test out their product and then bring it on to this large consumer customer uh, commercial market that we have here in the states and that's something that Klarna did and that's kind of something I followed into the footsteps so if you see right like when you're starting a company, and especially the way I started this company was I looked at every single nuance of brands that I was interacting with, things that I really liked. So Amazon, yeah. I love the two-day shipping. I love the same-day delivery. I love how fast I can order something. Like for my trip, dude, I, I got a GoPro, right? It's somewhere here. Um, and I wanted it and I ordered it yesterday. It came today. And you know, I knew I, I knew securely in my mind that if I ordered from Amazon, it's going to come. If I went to Best Buy, it may not necessarily have come in time or you know, Walmart or wherever they sell GoPros or even from their own website. So Amazon's done that. That's the convenience aspect of that. So I've taken that bit of it where I'm providing you that same day delivery. That's one component from that one brand. Yep. The other brand that is that you mentioned is Uber, right? You're basically providing a network, not to deliver people, but to deliver products. And in this case, you know, fashion and apparel and, and beauty products, uh, which are also essential, right? You know, people want those things a lot faster, instant gratification for those, lot of those, those kind of products. So 
took a little bit of nuance from Uber and the Amazon, but then I also took a nuance from Klarna. I think Klarna is probably one of my other favorite companies uh, out there right now in this space is because they saw that, you know, the, the, the Gen Z consumer, the millennials, what they're really struggling with is, is, is debt, right? Consumer debt. But we're also really smart. So I want to like pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, you know what? We've really gotten our shit together and really figured out we're in a problem. We're in a debt problem. Let's, let's carve our way out. We're good with our money. I think we're a lot better with, with our money than, you know, previous generations have been. Um, and, you know, especially in the experience that I've come from, you know, like I, I think that, you know, it, it, just, it just made sense for Klarna to come to the marketplace and provide that uh, alternative to credit cards. So, you know, offering the same, you know, four payments um, and getting your order in time, something that, you know, a lot of consumers can res resonate with, especially young consumers like our age and, you know, uh, even younger than us. Uh, and that's something that I took from them as well, where they provided that service through a widget. They didn't build an app. They didn't, you know, they didn't go out there and just invent the wheel again. What they yeah. said was like, hey, you're a brand, you have the customers. Let me just go with you guys. So they started off with small, you know, small brands like DTC brands, you know, here and there in Sweden and kind of grew out of that. Uh, and then now, you know, where they flipped the model, which I hope for the, the vision of where, which I'll get into, is to have that community, to have that app that where all the shoppers that have shopped with where, because they see the utility of it, uh, they'll hop on this app. Same thing with Klarna. Now they have an app where you can just shop from there. Now, if I use Klarna all the time, my, my login's already there. My information is already there. Why wouldn't I go to Klarna now? At first, I wouldn't because I didn't really trust it. I didn't know really what it was. I may have tested it out on a few brands. But now that they've built that credibility and that social proof, now anyone and everyone will go on their app. Now they, they have justified the reason for that app and their marketplace. And that's eventually what I want to do. But I don't want to decriminalize the, um, uh, the, the component that the, the retailers have. Like I don't want to take away from their store locations and their, their audiences. I only want to incrementally add to their audience, right? Uh, and how do I do that? I first go and see their audience and, you know, see how they, you know, interact with their product, with that brand, how they shop, how often they shop, build that community. And the back end of where the vision where I see it is making sure that I have these audiences built into our system. Now I know, you know, what you're buying. Now, you know, that Rhythm's buying this, you know, black t-shirt that he, he bought from Zara, but he ended up returning like two weeks later. Now, you know, instead, you know, when he returned that shirt, he went to Monaco, called Monaco, and he bought that, uh, another black t-shirt in a different size. So there had to be something there. So what I eventually want to do is make sure that these users, once they have used wear enough, once they're kind of addicted to it, like we are addicted to Amazon and Uber and even Klarna to a certain extent, once they're, once they're really on the hook, I want them to come and make a user profile on my, on my website and just interact. Don't buy anything. Don't do anything at all. Just interact. Like, you know, interact with shoppers that, you know, uh, shop at the same brands as you do. And this is such an interesting vertical because it's fashion, right? You, I, I bet if you're a sneakerhead, you can go out there and find a sneakerhead and have an hour long conversation with them. Absolutely. So it, it's that type of product. And, and, you know, there's a lot of products out there that can do the same thing. But I think, you know, apparel and beauty kind of just fit because you have the fashionistas. You have, you know, that community that already talks about fashion and apparel and trends and designs and all that. So you already have those shoppers that are willing to talk about that. So mm -hmm. it makes the most sense to build that community from the organic customers that I'll pick up along the way from these brands. And then now I can, you know, expand on my audience even more. Now I can go out there and advertise where for what it is and the community that it eventually will be. So that, that's Damn. the end goal of it. I fucking love that's that crazy. approach. Thank I love that approach because, you know, you know, often with e-commerce and digital ads, how digital ads work, you know, you get cookies implanted in all of your web browsers and your, IP, and your IPs and all this kind of stuff. And you just get targeted and targeted and targeted and it's oversold where what you're doing is taking a more organic approach. You're building a community and what will come with that in fold is more customers to yourself, a lot of word of mouth as well. And, you know, with COVID, I think you've identified a great opportunity here because, you know, COVID has put a lot of restrictions in us communicating with people in, in a face-to-face -face sector. So now you're creating a marketplace specifically for, for those fashion Easterns and all the people that, that want to be in style. And it's going to make it a lot easier to communicate with them. Um, I think you're hitting all the right things. And I actually wanted to touch on um, the instant gratification component of things that you, you chatted about. Yeah. So um, especially with COVID, you know, with COVID people and consumers have realized that things can be done online, right? Instant gratification, oh, not instant gratification, sorry. Um, it, or impulse buying is more so and more likely to happen now because they know that they can get products quick and they can get products quick. But one thing that I really like about this vision is the fact that people can get things same day 
right? Which is one, I think another little thing that you can add to your pitch. If consumers can get a product and they're impulse buying a product, they can get it the same day. They're most likely going to wear that the exact same day. Therefore, that's going to decrease the amount of returns that are going to be coming in, right? That's a win-win-win for both the customer, the curator, and the brand. I think that's a phenomenal fucking approach. <laughs> Excuse my French there, but I'm getting fired up here. <laughs> no, no, please. Uh, I know you have your own thing going on, but do you want to you come work with me at Wear and get this thing off the ground? <laughs> that, that was amazing, dude. I mean, I think that makes so much sense. And that is actually a component that I missed, right? So like that is something that I don't add to the pitch. I don't say that, you know, they would wear it the same day. Uh, but that's a very interesting point. You know, where I thought about the return aspect was where you know, I eventually want to offer returns as well, where you can kind of return it back to, you know, the brands. But I wasn't really thinking about it the way you just explained it from the, the shopper perspective. I was thinking about it from the brand's yeah. perspective. But that's a very interesting point because from the brands, I was just like, hey, you know what? If you get the returns, now you have that goods to sell again. Now you have that inventory back and you can just sell it again, right? Just thinking it from business terms and, you know, just straight, strictly from, you know, my first client, you know, my first, uh, my consumer, because technically my consumer is obviously the brands, right? Yeah. So- I was thinking it from that lens, but you just, you just kind of, you know, hit, hit the nail on the head with that, with that component of the shoppers. I think that's, that's beautifully done, dude. I, I, that I'm really impressed. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's your idea. It's yours, man. <laughs> you can take it. <laughs> I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. <laughs> yeah. What, no, this is, this is crazy. It's, uh, it's inspiring to see that you, you, you brought an idea to so much life and I don't know how long this has been cooking, but um, things always fall into place just in a matter of time. Right. And sometimes what we need to realize as humans that sometimes it's not our time today might not be our time, but tomorrow might be our time. And patience comes as a, it's a very underutilized skill by entrepreneurs. And a lot of people in, in our, in our space, in the e-commerce space or um, our generation, I'm going to say as a whole is we get kind of trapped into that mindset of, I need to make money tomorrow. I need uh, to get rich quick. There's just nothing like that. It, it does. It takes hard work. And those are the people ultimately that will end up failing. And, and for our audience that are going to be growing up and want to become entrepreneurs and, and need to cultivate this type of an experience in their mind, that's something that everybody should follow. And I think Rhythm here is a, is a great example of that. Um, honing, keeping, keep on honing and not giving up. Um, grit and ambition goes a really, really long way. So um, on that topic there, I actually wanted to dive into a little bit more about like your, your thought process around everything, but also your research process. You know, you mentioned that, you know, you really liked Amazon, you really liked, um, what's that other company? Um, Klarna. And then you also said Uber, right? And then you yep. also talked about Sweden. So I'm curious to know, like, how did you find out where to look? Um, what type of tools do you use to find different consumer insights or anything like that that has helped you build um you know where to where it is today yeah 100 so this is going to sound kind of really strange very very out there uh, <laughs> i really recommend you try it uh get bumble get bumble for business <laughs> and, and just start networking man start networking or even just like network with anyone and everyone you meet and i think just because, you know, I, and even with you guys, I can just sense it, you know, we just kind of hit it off and we're just kind of communicating. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, I, I'm that same high energy, same kind of personality where like, if I meet someone new, like I wanted to get to know you, I want to know what I can do for you. Cause I know later on someday, somewhere down the line, somewhere down the road, I know there's going to be something that I can ask for you because, you know, everyone has a value to provide. So that's one thing that I always look at it from that angle, whether it's a dating app, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn, um, you know, whether it's just doing my own research, uh, I have mentors, they're not, they don't know me, but I know them, they're books that I read all the time. Uh, one's Peter Thiel, I love him. Uh, there you go. Yeah, see, <laughs> my mind's over there a lot smaller, though, but now that I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm very impressed. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you guys read the book Zero to One it's by Peter Thiel, like the PayPal mafia, you know, he said one thing in, in the book that really resonated with me. And, and you know, it's a, it's a 200 page book uh, or something. And, and there's one thing that just resonated and that's all it really takes, right? That's all it takes. It, it yeah. really, that one Whoa. line that you're like, hey, holy shit, this just changed the entire game. He said, uh, and, and you know, I'm gonna paraphrase here. And Peter, if you're listening to this, please excuse me. Um, uh, he said that, uh, don't focus on your competitors. Competition, you know, may be good for business, right? May, you know, you you may go out there and you want to race, you want to you want to you want to you want to kill it, you want to make sure that you're doing better than your other brands. But it takes away from your thought process. It takes away from how you're thinking about your brand and your customers, because there's so many different products out there that are so similar. Just because we live in such a saturated world, such a saturated market, mm -hmm. that 
every single product will find their own consumer, will find their own audience. And your competitive, uh, your competitor's main audience may be the same, but their core organic audience, going back to the whole organic building your brand up, is not going to be the same. There's a reason why I pick Uber over Lyft, right? They provide the same service, but I pick Uber over Lyft because I can trust Uber. I like it. It sounds cool. And, you know, it, it's, just, it's just a lot easier in the city. So there's a lot of components to that. They have the same audience. But, you know, they, I don't think Uber really focuses on their competition. I think Lyft started before Uber and Uber came in and it's like, oh, Lyft is already doing this. So what? We'll do this a lot better. We'll make this a lot more exclusive. So that's exactly what I want to do with Aware. So I don't really focus on my competitors at all. So the research, research component, right? I haven't really ever done a, you know, an analysis, a SWOT analysis on what my competitors are doing and how they're doing it. Yes, I know of them. Obviously, you know, do not go into the market or do not start a project without knowing what's out there already because, it's not to scare you away. It's only so you can learn from them and kind of better their idea. Because I guarantee you, you'll have your own perspective uh, on your own vision and your own brand, and you'll make it a lot better than them in your own way. And you will find that your own audience. It may, you know, be in a few months or it may be in like 10 years down the line. You don't know that, but that organic growth is going to go such a long way. And, you know, like what you mentioned about, you know, starting small and, you know, Amazon did the same thing. Uh, a lot of these big brands that are around today, that's, they, they've been around for a very long time. We have just not heard of them. Klarna, for yeah. example, right? It blew my mind. They're, they've been in Sweden for about eight years and then in the United States for two. And I've only heard about them last year. So it's like this company's been around for like 10 years and I, I just haven't even like interacted with them, but they're so big now, right? They're like, now they're everywhere. Every single retailer has them. Um, you know, there's not been a site that I went on that Klarna was not available. But then again, they started small, they built up their audience. And now, you know, now we see the re end result. Now we see Klarna as the big giant that it is. Uh, and now we see, you know, other companies like that, that missed the opportunity in the market. Uh, Klarna, as soon as it came out, PayPal came out with pay in four. They're like, you know what? We have the infrastructure. Why can't we do this? We have PayPal. Everyone loves PayPal. Everyone knows PayPal. We'll just go ahead and take their, uh, you know, take their customers away. And, you know, everyone will use PayPal over Klarna. But that was, that was not right, right? That was not correct. PayPal is actually struggling in front of Klarna just because Klarna has built that community. Klarna now has that app. Now that has that cool image where Klarna is the thing to do. I think Klarna stands for like smooth or something like that in Sweden. Uh, it's on their site. I forget exactly what it is. Shopping, yeah. Shopping, there we go. So, you know, they really kind of mixed their personality into it. Whoever created the brand, I actually am not familiar with the co-founder, but I'm just familiar with the company itself. But that's my research, right? My research is how I interact with brands how I, you know, how I see them in the marketplace and, and basically the books that I read. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you obviously, apart from that, you do have to do research for your own company and whatnot. So one, one thing I always like to throw in pitches is basically how do you come up with the pricing, right? Because you have to do some research to figure out your pricing, your business model, your pricing structure and whatnot. And this is the funniest story of all, Ben. I, so I used to live on Sullivan and Bleecker, which is like Greenwich Village and right next to NYU, um, you know, the NYU campus. And I'm like, who needs money right now? Like if I was in college, I would totally do this. Like I would deliver something like for someone and just get paid. And if, if I'm paying them, you know, 11 to $20, like, dude, that buys lunch. Right. And this is, this is in hindsight, this is like after I had the conversation. So anyways, I'm going to backtrack uh, before I, you know, you know, came up with like, you know, calling them curators, figuring out the pricing model. I just took a stroll down to Washington park and, you know, there's a lot of students there. There are always people like interacting and, you know, like our, like our personalities are well easy to get along with. So I just started chatting with a few and whatnot. Obviously went there with the friends that went to NYU and whatnot. And I started talking to them. So I asked this one kid, uh, he seemed pretty interesting. So I was like, yo, dude, like I, I'm just in a time crunch right now. And I really need to get this black t-shirt for this like presentation. The shirt is destroyed. Can you, it's like, I was like sweating like crazy. Um, and I was like, Hey, so there's a Zara in uh, near Herald square on 34th street. It's about, I want to say like 15 blocks from where we were. Can you go get me a, a plain black t-shirt in a medium size? Right. So obviously very easy for him to do. He doesn't have to go search for like, you know, different products. I mean, Zara has like millions of products, right? Maybe not millions, but you know, you get the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a black t-shirt is pretty easy to find, right? And I wasn't going to be mad if he picked the wrong black t-shirt or whatnot. But I told him the size. I told him that the, the cut that I wanted, the V-neck, and I told him the color. So he had all the components that he needed for me to go get my order in time and, you know, bring it back. And then, and then he goes like, oh man, I, I can't do it. I was like, well, so I'm going to pay you, obviously. I'm not just doing this for, you know, you're not just going to do this for free, right? So how much would it, you know, cost, how much would it take for you to do that? He goes like, dude, if you buy me lunch, I'll do it. I was like, holy shit, there we go. That is the market research that I needed. If this student's yeah. willing to do that for lunch money, then that's the pricing model that to keep in mind, because now I want to incentivize you as a curator 
because it does a lot for me as a brand, right? Mm-hmm. I, what I want to do is make sure that these curators have this, this, this side gig, the side hustle, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, they, they even maybe, you know, starting their own companies and they kind of need money and whatnot. I didn't want to take away money out of their pocket for the work that they were doing, but Uber, um, you know, Instacart and all these other, uh, these delivery apps kind of do that. Right. They kind of like cut out the, 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 the messenger, they pay them very little fees and whatnot. What I said, what I initially, my thought process behind it was like, Hey, if you're going to be a curator, you're going to be your own boss. So that means you're going to be completely responsible and liable for the order that you, when you go deliver it. That did a lot of things for my business, right? So I don't need insurance now for these, uh, these products. I have their information. I have their credit cards on file. I, I can charge them if that order goes missing. I can charge them if anything happens to that order. Obviously, there's certain scenarios where my business liability insurance will kick in. Um, and that's with any and every business. So that's a very important fact for anyone that's starting out a business. And obviously, that comes when you're, you know, you're kind of you know, making some headway and you, you can kind of afford it and you kind of need it and it makes sense. But it, it, it really provided me like if I'm give, if you're doing the entire job, I'm giving you the entire incentive. The least you can do for me is give me one small fee. So I charge a service fee for them. It's a flat fee of a dollar. So any delivery you make, I take a dollar. Right. So that's that's mine. And that's very like, you know, it's already out there. Everyone knows it. Curators know it. This is like the beginning conversation. And it's completely transparent. Right. Because you don't want, you know, your fees to be like uh, I didn't really like percentages. So I was like they because that takes away from their earnings. That takes away from them knowing exactly how much they're going to earn. Right. So I was like, hey, you know what? You take your money. You give me my money for connecting you with these brands and these deliveries. This gig is essentially and you do your own thing. Right. So now, you know, obviously it saves me on the liability costs, but it also incentivizes the curator to keep coming back because they now know if they're going to drive for Uber around, they're going to need a car. They're going to need insurance. They need to pay for gas. They're going to park the car and whatnot. So that didn't really work out. So the other thing I said to curators, I was like, Hey, you know what? You got a helmet, you got feet, you got nice sneakers, walk. It's your city. Just go walk in the city, go do whatever you want because I'm paying you enough to do so. Like if you, if you, if you, if this guy just justified to me that it takes lunch money for him to walk 15 blocks, then I already found my perfect product market fit, right? I, perf- I found my perfect audience for curators. I found yeah. the person that would, you know, kind of want to do this. And not everyone will, right? Um, so then I was like, oh, shit, would this really work? Then I put up a job on Indeed. And I, I dude, the website wasn't even up. The, the, the tech wasn't even built. And this is one advice that I would give from my experience. And, and, you know, it could go either way. It could work out excellently the first time or it can just, like, ch- hits the fan and you're like, oh, crap, I got to do something else. So... I, I, I highly recommend that anyone that's listening is to kind of not oversell yourself in terms of like overconfidence, but overvalue yourself in terms of like, you can do it right. Like you don't have to, you don't have to have everything in place. Even if you have the vision in mind, if you have the vision in mind, you can go out there and make those next steps and kind of just get the information that you need. So the research that I really did was actually go to these insurance companies, go to these, you know, distributors and say, Hey, I already have this built out. Tell me what I can do for you to make it better. What that did for me was provide me the insight that I needed to fix my product, fix my MVP to make sure that I was giving these brands exactly what they needed. And yeah, I may have lost that brand because time just passed and, and whatnot, um, but it still provided me that insight. Now I know how to go to the market. Now I know how to present my product. And I did the same thing for curators. I put up a job in Indeed in, in July and I started the company in May. I had nothing running. I had nothing going on. I put up a job posting and I put it up for one day, right? Dude, I got over 50, like 50 applications in one hour. And then by the end of the day, I had over 300. And I was like, this is people just, yeah, people just needed a job because dude, it was so simple. All you needed is an ID to sign up. You had to be 18 years old and you didn't need a car. You didn't need insurance. If you had a car, obviously, you know, the contract would change a little bit, but you know, because of the state laws and whatnot, but you had every single thing you needed to get going on the side hustle viewers. All that was needed was my job was to provide you the app and the network. And, you know, obviously that wasn't ready at that point. So I, I, I took down the job posting because I wasn't ready, but now we are. So now, you know, we put it out there. Now we have over 750 curators ready to make deliveries for us, which is a pretty large number for any DTC brand. Right. So, yeah. And, and dude, and along the way, I, I definitely recommend for anyone listening again, um, keep everyone that you interact with entertained because you do not know when, who's going to fall off and who's not going to fall off. I, in the beginning, I made this mistake. You know, I, I got their applications. I told them, hey, you know what? This is great. Uh, now, you know, I'll send you next steps in a few weeks and whatnot. And I didn't really keep them entertained because I had so many things going on. And I get it, right? If you're starting something alone or if you have a few, few co-founders and, you know, you, don't, you just don't have enough manpower to kind of manage everything. So things tend to fall off and slip off and whatnot. 
but I highly recommend you keep them engaged because the, the curators that I kept engaged have been here since day one and they're, they've been here uh, you know, wanting to work for where, even though they know that the product isn't ready because A, I was transparent and I provided them a value. Uh, and then I also send them some free masks and uh, some t-shirts to <laughs> just to kind of keep them around a little, yeah. a little, yeah, a little, uh, a little incentive, but um, yeah, man, I, that, that's been my, my research so far. And it's, it's only been just going out there and just putting myself out there as much as I can, rather than, you know, um, you know, looking it up on LinkedIn, Googling it, because you can kind of get lost in that world, right? There's just so much information to be consumed. Yeah. You just don't know which is the right kind of information. So go out there, talk to the brands. If they say no, they say no. There's millions of other brands that will pop up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that approach. I love that approach. And the reason I say that is, you know, we're very similar in the Amazon world. We call it paralysis by analysis. There's just so much information out there where you don't know if it's going to work. It's almost pulling you in, in multiple different directions. And it really, it kind of fucks you over at the end of the day, yeah. right? Where what you're doing is you're getting real life examples of this for yourself and you're validating the market. In my opinion, using that in a pitch compared to just dropping a bunch of data and numbers is 10 times more appealing for someone to bite. 110%. Yeah. You know our, I mean? our, our best or the most valuable insights that we've gotten, because we, well, it's one thing to launch a product, but it's another thing to actually listen to your customers and make changes on those products. So from your standpoint, because you're obviously, um, you know, pre, pre, pre-start, I guess, pre-startup. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We haven't gotten the market just yet, but we're, you know, getting our ducks in a row, but yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. So like you're basically taking it a step forward and actually getting valuable in-person consumer insight from the people you're dealing with that goes a, a long, long way. Um, and I remember doing a, a, back when I was in college, um, I did a project for a product that we were taking to market for. It was, it was a business consulting project and it was, Basically, um, it, we were taking a, a new product to market for a, a manufacturing company that has a, a big dominance in the oil and gas industry. So what we did with that is all we did is interviews. We couldn't find anything on the internet um, about this actual product, but we, we did interviews and we made anecdotes to pitch it to them. And we ended up winning a prize for that project. They took that, that product to market. And it was because we were able to speak with the people and the consumers that actually are going to be using it and figure out, okay, what are the core competencies of this? What do you have to be mindful of? It was a product. It was a helical pile that goes into the dirt. So the people we talked to were geologists. We talked to engine, civil engineers. We talked to other manufacturing companies that produce steels. We talked to steel manufacturers and we went to the root source, interviewed them, found the relevant information that we needed to make anecdote decisions on it. And we made assumptions is really what professional educated assumptions based off of that data. So, um, and that's what won it for us. Like we walked away with a prize. I don't remember how much it was, but we, we walked away with a prize and they took it to market. And the crazy thing was, is um, when we were doing corporate recruitment, which is, you know, our, our corporate sales job that we did, mm -hmm. we, they were one of our clients and we hired for them because they ramped up with that project like crazy. <laughs> wow, dude. Yeah, it, was man. it was intense. In my opinion, that's the best way to get research because you're, you're, you know, instead of launching a product that you think is going to work, you're launching a product that you know is going to work because you've already essentially brought it to the market just from a, from a verbal sense, you know, just validating it through what you're seeing in the market, talking to your customers, all said and done. Right. Yeah. That way, you know, you're still by all means when you launch, you're still going to have to pivot and adapt as needed, but you're not, probably not going to have to pivot and adapt as much as you, as you will, if you were just to launch a product based off of, um, internet knowledge, so to speak. I got a question for you. Yep. Why don't you take this like shark tank, man? This is like a pitch that, that <laughs> should go to like shark tank or something along those lines, or you can get some investors on here. Uh, you know, you're not the first person to ask me that. Uh, my, my own dad has asked me, he's like, why don't you just go to Shark Tank? He watches me and him watch it all the time. Um, my best friends, um, he, he asked me, he's like, dude, this is so on Shark Tank. Why aren't you taking this on Shark Tank? Um, I, I think that, you know, I have a specific strategy in mind. I have a specific vision in mind. Uh, I'm at a place right now where I can, you know, invest the money that I've saved up into this business. I'm investing in myself. Um, and I've always said this from day one, you know, whether or not this company takes off or not, there's always a lesson to be learned. Um, the thing is that I, it's just, 
you know, I, I don't think the product is ready where I want to take it to market to, to Shark Tanks of the world because A, I don't have a proof of concept. Yep. So A, I want to first prove my concept, right? Because, you know, Shark getting on Shark Tank isn't easy just, just by the nature of it. Going there without a brand in my in my pocket is definitely not going to be a good sell. So I want to make sure that I'm ready to present myself to those specific kind of, um, uh, you know, personalities. And it's so funny that you mentioned Shark Tank. So I don't know if you remember Matt Higgins. Uh, he was like a guest star on Shark Tank. Um, he, he basically, you know, I, he started posting a lot on LinkedIn. He's friends with Gary V. He's a venture capitalist. Um, and I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I responded, I, I responded to a post that he made on LinkedIn and he, he liked it. So I messaged him. I'm like, Hey, um, you know, Matt, can we ch chat? No, no response and whatnot. Uh, I'm like, Hey Matt, can you follow me back? I, we like the same post and, you know, I, I just want to get a few glimpses and, you know, it kind of insight from you. He accepted my request. He added to me. Now we're friends on LinkedIn, but that's it, right? That, that's all we spoke in. But he did one really good thing and he provided me this book. He's like, Rhythm, I want you to read this book, right? And, and he said my name. I was like, oh, cool. Matt knows me. This is kind of cool. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, But obviously no investment and whatnot, but that's not what I was looking for, right? I was kind of just looking for that insight. So if I were to go back on Shark Tank, um, if I back, I mean, if I were to go on Shark Tank, <laughs> I would, uh, I would. I would only go on there for the insight and if there was an opportunity to sort of, you know, get that investment and if it made sense in, in terms of business. I think, you know, one thing that what I've learned from my experience is that you don't necessarily need all the capital right away. Like I don't need a million dollars to get this company off the ground. I want to do this with, you know, $20,000. I want to do this with $30,000, the least amount of money that this will take to get this off the ground and find my way that way. Because uh, because it would create that foundation because if it can work at that small scale, if I can work and keep my expenses low at, in the very beginning of it, then I can only build on top of that and make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and more, you know, affordable and, you know, ex and expandable as much as possible and scale it out that way. So yeah. that's, that's one reason why I wouldn't, you know, look for investments right now. But obviously, you know, if there's any investors listening, please, I'm at that stage now where. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. This yeah. has been an awesome conversation. Brian, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? I just want to say, I think that's honestly, now that you say that, and, and I kind of, I don't want to say regret bringing up Shark Tank, but I think that's the right approach because I've watched a ton of pitches on Shark Tank and Dragon Den and people get shut down just due to the fact that there's no proof concept yet, yeah. right? Plus people get shut down where they're investing a ton of money and they're not seeing the results that they need. And there's just, again, there's nothing for them to bite on to actually throw more money at it. So I think you're taking the right approach there, but I definitely think this is something that can go on to Shark Tank and, and blow it out of the water. So I'm excited to see you. Um, yeah, I'm, ex I'm very excited to see you on there. If you were to make it, <laughs> I'll, I'll cap it off, Eric. Um, you know, again, our, our audience is predominantly young entrepreneurs. So we always kind of like to end it off. Um, you know, you're, you're young, you're 26. You've been, you've been hustling since, uh, since a young kid here. Um, what kind of advice would you give to someone that is in our shoes? Someone that's wanting to start a business, has the ambition, but don't exactly know where to start and, and kind of move forward. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, it starts with making a mistake. It's that first mistake you make and you're like, Oh shit, I made a mistake. I don't want to do it again. Then you go ahead and make another mistake. Um, you know, I, I made so many mistakes and I, I've, I've tried to do so many things, but I would say the only advice that, you know, I would give you in, in any, whatever you're starting, whatever project it is, make sure that you can embody your personality into that product. Because man, when I get off of my day job and I work on this project, it brings me so much joy. It's like shit, you know, not that my day job doesn't, I love my team. I love my company, but this is something that it, it speaks to me, right? Like where and rhythm are one. Like I am a shopper first, which is why I would utilize this brand, which is why I'm making this brand. Then I am the CEO and founder of where, right? I, I initially am, you know, the consumer for this product. So it's more fun for me that way. And even, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this briefly, like it, it's funny. And I, I mentioned it to, you know, the, the, in my, my tech lead, cause he's the one to help me build the demo every single nuance of the demo has my personality into it. Like even, you know, when in the demo where they show like the checkout, the customer name and whatnot, yeah. I have Vincent Chase. I don't know if anyone knows who that is, but that's this character from Entourage. I absolutely love that show, but I had to put something in there. My first <laughs> apartment address is there, you know, like these little, little things count because it makes these things fun. So my advice is obviously, you know, embody your personality, but also have fun with it. Because if you don't have fun with it, you're just not going to focus. You're not going to be in the right headspace to bring it the, to the next level where you actually want to build it to. So yeah. yeah. Love that. Passion project. Exactly. exactly. Rhythm. Absolutely. Like I know that we said that this is probably going to be 30 minutes, but we're running just over an hour here because we just had a <laughs> fucking badass conversation. Um, yeah, man, just to, just to kind of cap it off, where, where can people find you? Um, what's your social handles? Uh, what's the website for, for where, if people were looking to just take a look? 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, we're on Instagram uh, at the wear app um, and that it's, it's at the wear app. Uh, the website is the wear Twitter at, um, you know, at the wear app, everything's the wear app. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn, it's just wear technologies, uh, obviously because it's a more professional setting, but I, I highly recommend you guys checking out our website. I highly recommend you guys just following us on Instagram because there's a lot more to come there. Um, you know, we have this really cool interactive, uh, you know, kind of community that we're really trying to build. Um, and, and trust me, I, we're not going to try to sell you anything. We're only going to provide value to you. Um, I'll give you a little sneak peek on a project that we have coming on for Instagram, where we're actually going to be putting out playlists from our shoppers while they wait. So while they wait for their orders, they want, they're listening to music. So sort of like elevator music while people are waiting for their orders. So that's like kind of like a fun approach. You want to go, go with it. So that's to come there. So if you want to have fun, if you want to listen to good music, if you want to just know what we're doing and where the hell we are, if we ever get the shark tank or, you know, where, wherever this comes, uh, you know, uh, uh, wherever this leads to, Follow us on Instagram, follow us on, you know, Twitter, follow us on uh, LinkedIn um, and definitely check out our site, but also look for us, you know, eventually uh, at your favorite brand website, because uh, I know we'll be there. Hell yeah, yeah, man. I love the confidence. <laughs> I'm yeah. excited to see it there. I'll be don't forget about, it. don't forget about this interview when you, when you make it big, I'll say that. <laughs> you, I think we're all part of one team now. Are we going to go pitch the, to my next brand? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Face of the brand. I'm, right, I'm about it. <laughs> cool bro i appreciate the time again a phenomenal conversation um yeah have a good one yeah, you too guys thank you so much for having me on the show i had a lot of fun thank you thanks for